Hello, I'm David Mosscrop. Welcome to Open to Debate. As Prince William and Kate Middleton wrap up their jubilee tour of the Caribbean, Barbados and Jamaica are moving towards becoming republics, casting doubt on the future of the Commonwealth. Ahead of the royal visit to Jamaica, more than 100 prominent Jamaicans signed an open letter to the Prince and Duchess calling for, quote-unquote, an apology for British crimes against humanity. They also call for reparations. The case for reparations in the Caribbean and beyond is bound up with the past and present of racial capitalism, a form of racialized economic, social, and political extraction, exploitation, and domination. To understand how this system works, how it might be undone, and what is owed from centuries of its existence, we ask, what is racial capitalism and the case for reparations? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Erica Eiffel, race and equity expert, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, and founder of Not In My Color, an anti-racism inequity consultancy. All right, let's start by defining our terminology uh, because this is going to be a spicy episode and so I want to get you know some basic facts down. I want to outline the conversation about when we talk about racial capitalism, what are we talking about and how does it relate to say, you know, for instance, the case of reparations uh, and, and structural economic reforms? Just an easy question to get things rolling, you know, <laughs> 15 seconds or less. No, just kidding. You know what? You're going to like uh, where this came from because it came from a black Marxist. And right. so the, yeah. So the term, I don't talking. know. I don't know how well read you are in black Marxism. I'm not as well read um, on black Marxism, which I'm sure I will rectify in time. But racial capitalism is a concept coined by Cedric J. Robinson in his book, Black Marxism, The Making of the Black Radical Tradition, published in 1983. Mm. <laughs> okay. So basically, it's the process of extracting social and economic value from a person of different racial identity, typically a person of color. Um, it's usually uh, white people and white institutions doing that. Uh, however, a person of any race might engage in racial capitalism. Right. So um, a person of any race can engage, for, for example, in the extraction of Black cultural identity for their own profit within a white supremacist complex mm. because the value is determined by that complex. So think of Aquafina, think of Lily Singh, and you get the idea. Did I just throw out names that your audience might not? <laughs> we contain multitudes. I mean, I, I suspect there's probably a few people. Who, I mean, they can certainly look them up, but I, you, but the, you define it so well, I think everyone's going to get the idea. And I'm so yeah. glad you brought up the, the idea that you could have class hierarchies within mm -hmm. racialized spaces. It's not just, you know, and that, and that, that can be shaped by white supremacy. It doesn't have to be a, a white person. Exactly. With the racial, it can be a part of a system. Exactly. That's, and that's, that's what determined. trips people up, eh? Yeah. That's what tri trips people up. And what I'm noticing 
especially is that the far right is using that rudimentary understanding of race and manipulating it for their own ends. If you think of the organizers of the Ottawa convoy and their claim to indigenous identity, for example. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's racial capitalism and um all capitalism, according to Robinson, was inherently racial capitalism um, and racialism. So the idea of racializing people is present in all layers of capitalism's socioeconomic stratification. So um, he states that capital, quote, can only accumulate by producing and moving through relations of severe inequality among human groups, end quote. So I think there's a nice sort of intersection of class and race right there, right? And so the idea is that all of our, all of our sort of capitalist structures and um, the goods and services from which the the you know capitalism moves is sort of based on this racialization of capital. And it comes from somewhere, right? I mean, part of the reason why uh, you know people like us will come out and say history matters and structures matter is that these things aren't accidents. These are historical systems that that come from somewhere. And it's part of the reason the old, we got the old saying that you know behind every great fortune is a is a great crime, uh, and they compound, and so it's not an accident. And that's part of the reason why, for instance, you know colonialism isn't over, indigenous right. genocide isn't over, slavery right. isn't over. I mean, we, right. we those aren't just legacies; those are present conditions. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and what sparked this conversation, incidentally, was you know we were talking about the royal visit to the uh, to the Caribbean. <laughs> And and the, and the call from from uh, many Jamaicans for reparations uh, from the British, right? Which might seem you know people a classic people will say well you know that was you know hundreds of years ago what's the point and the idea is it really wasn't hundreds of years ago it's today. No, it it is today. I mean, and the idea is the if you really kind of zoom out and think about it, the standard of living, which. Europe and America and Canada, New Zealand and and Australia enjoy is based on slavery, genocide, colonialism, a violent extraction of human value, a violent enforced extraction of human value. So, you know, where would Britain be without sugar plantations? Like mm -hmm. Uh, excuse me. And and let's not pretend that this is a British thing, because remember, Britain was, you know, America was a British colony um, by which, uh, uh, you know, capital from slavery moved through the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about Harvard Law School, you know, Harvard Law School started because um, an endowment of slaves was bequeathed to the school, right? Um, 
think of, I think McGill is another one. Uh, so actually McGill is another one <laughs> coming to think of it. So, so, um, you know, James McGill had slaves. So I, 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 you know, and when we start talking about the care economy, especially, um, and this is where feminism falls flat, right? Uh, is, is that it does not, uh, give room to explore the extractive capitalism of, say, the immigration system, which brought West Indian domestic labor and highly educated West Indian domestic labor uh, to Canada. And I just wonder how many, how many wealthy white women depended on that labor, mm -hmm. you know? So, so, so these things are interrelated and they're not just a Canadian problem or an American problem or British problem. With great empires come great crimes and great violence and great responsibilities. No, you can't just like channel change because you had some enlightenment period or that somebody, um, I love how, for example, the idea that slavery ended, the narrative goes, well, there were some great white people who <laughs> came to their senses and just fought for slavery to end. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> that's not how it went. How it went was the Haitian Revolution happened and scared the crap out of Europe. And then the Haitian Revolution sparked a whole bunch of rebellions. So my parents are Guyanese. Um, and for example, Cuffy is a, a man who was captured from West Africa, stolen from slavery and went to Guyana and he became famous because in 1763, he led a revolt of more than 2,500 slaves against the colony regime. Today, he's a Guyanese national hero, you know? There's statues of him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think there are, and that's really interesting if you want to go down the road of, of, of who gets celebrated in which countries, you know? So in Guyana, the slave has statues, you know? Here we have right. John and McDonald's. The slavers, have statues. <laughs> the slavers yeah. you know? And yeah. so when it comes to reparations, you have to think about that on a global scale without the transatlantic slave trade. Where would Britain be? Where would America be without King Cotton, right? Where? Well, I want to I add really quickly, you were, as you were talking about that, there's a great book called Tacky's Revolt, the story of an Atlantic slave war by... Vincent Brown, who tells the story of, of a slave revolt, a few slave revolts actually in Jamaica. It's extraordinarily good. I highly recommend Ooh. it. It's called Tacky's Revolt. And it's uh, from from Harvard, actually, at the Belknap Press of Harvard. And it tells that story. And, and these are stories that we just don't hear, you know, mm -hmm. at least in the mainstream. I mean, you know, communities yeah. that know them know them, but the, you know, the mainstream, especially white communities, don't and, and they ought to. So I can't recommend that book enough. It's extraordinarily good. It was up for the Kundal Prize a couple of years ago. Send uh, it to me in text. <laughs> I certainly will. I certainly will. And I I'm can't down. send it to everybody in text, alas. But anyone who wants to, to learn more, yeah, feel free to email me. I also reviewed it. I had an interview with Vincent Brown. Oh, really? Ago. Yeah, oh, send I was me that covering too. The, the prize. I'm going to make a note to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, send me that too. That's that's really interesting because I think I think 
what's what's great for me about the bad and bitchy podcast is the is the this ability. is your podcast for listeners yes may not know, is, by the way this is so i have a podcast and uh i david is uh like the only white man we have on this podcast <laughs> the only one we recognize really the only white, <laughs> the only white we recognize no but it's 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 a podcast of um a critical analysis of policy and politics and pop culture really from a BIPOC, a Black, Indigenous, people of color lens. And so um, so the discussions are different. So, you know, as pertaining to this one time, I remember when in 2017, the Windrush scandal broke. And we talked about that on the podcast and nobody else was covering it, mm -hmm. right? And now it becomes very interesting because if you want to think about why Jamaicans are so hot under the collar about um, about Britain and Britain's uh, history and Britain's present. You know, you think about I think about I think about the Windrush scandal. Very quickly, let me just read a, a quotation that will bridge us into this a little bit, because okay. when the royals were on their Jubilee tour, William and Kate were in Jamaica. They were facing, you know, protests and calls for reparations in, in former British colonies. Jamaica is doing its work to become a republic. Uh, who just did? Um, someone else just did. Barbados. Uh, Barbados. Mia Motley. And, and they they and, removed. So now Barbados has uh, two black women in charge as prime minister and president. And 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 soon to soon to be a republic. Then that's not finished yet, is it? I don't think. I don't know the paperwork process. But there, yeah, yeah, no, me but, but I mean, this this is the movement, the broader movement. And and so ahead of the visit, there were a hundred prominent Jamaicans who signed an open letter, which you can find uh, on the internet. The, here's the quotation that I wanted to set your story up with. We are of the view an apology for British crimes against humanity, including but not limited to the exploitation of the indigenous people of Jamaica the transatlantic mm -hmm. trafficking of Africans, the enslavement of Af uh, Africans, indentureship and colonization is necessary to begin a process of healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, and compensation. They cited Kate and William as, quote unquote, direct beneficiaries of the wealth accumulated by the royal family from trafficking and enslavement of Africans. Notice, so they, we're didn't, this, notice they didn't bring Harry Harry's name into it. He's retired, right? <laughs> No, but 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 that's yeah. but but I think that if you want to think about racial capitalism, right, and the extractive nature of racial capitalism, um, what ironically the royals failed to do was to extract that from Meghan. Because mm. how different would this trip have gone had it been Harry and Meghan in Jamaica? Mm. Interesting, right? right. So it's it's just funny that their own sort of racism <laughs> prevented them from profiting off and instead, and longer instead, what term we, racism. <laughs> and instead, what do we get? We get this photo of the Duchess of Cambridge shaking hands with children through a chain link fence in Trenchtown. Uh, 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 just truly a She barely a touched them. Yeah. It was a fence. I'm like, how many ways can you say cage? I just, <laughs> like, it's, I, I just remember seeing it thinking, in what world does such a closely staged managed visit ever let something like this happen? I mean, it's just so. Yes, but because they don't see it, they can't yeah. see it. And, and, and it's, it's, we, it's, 
you know, my dad always says that the ma- the mind is not elastic. It's plastic. Once it's expanded, it stays in that shape. It doesn't go. Oh, back. my God. That's so good. Yeah, that's my dad. Um, that's great. I love that. Yeah. So shout out to dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so like so once you start understanding it, if you think about it from an indigenous perspective, I also want to say whenever black people fight for rights they fight for everybody's rights Mm -hmm. i just want to say that Mm -hmm. um that's why you should listen to black women anyway um (laughs) many reasons many reasons one of many reasons yes so i i think i think what is happening is there is just uh you know as we go down this road of decolonization and those kinds of 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 discussions around colonialism and what it means and what it's done. Ironically, Canada is both the colonized and the colonizer. Um, And so it's just really interesting to see uh, that Barbados of all places, Barbados was known as Little Britain. That's how much influence Britain had on Barbados. And so for Barbados to do that, is is a big deal. I also want to note that um, CARICOM, so uh, I guess you would call it the trading block of intergovernmental organization of 15 Caribbean member states uh, are keen to address um, with address reparations with the Caribbean Reparations Commission. Hmm. So In an open letter addressed to William and Kate, the Advocates Network listed 60 reasons why reparations must be paid in order to right the wrongs of the past. Um, So, and those are conquest and transatlantic trafficking of Africans, as you said, plantation slavery and inhumane punishment. Uh, So I also want to point out that Barbados was was so important that uh, in 1661, the Barbados Slave Code was signed into law by the colonial legislature, and it served as a basis for other slave codes throughout the Americas. And basically, the Barbados Slave Code was officially titled An Act for the Better Ordering and Governing of Negroes. And was a law to provide the legal basis for slavery. And it is the first comprehensive slave act. And I want to really impart how much slave acts really shaped the culture and the socioeconomic status of black people within white societies. And especially English speaking white societies because the French had their own. Slave codes, right? I believe Louis the Fourteenth. Um, so, like, it's not just the money; it's literally the societal structure within which our economic progress is based. Think about that. Mm-hmm. That's how insidious this is, and, and fundamental. I mean, you know, I mean, again, we don't often recognize the, the foundations of our society, but they're there. They're the background noise of our existence. 
And then we instead say, well, no, no, what we need is the common mainstream take. Well, what we just need is, is to treat everyone equally. We just need liberalism in the sense that everybody gets a, yeah. a shot. And, and, you know, nobody gets an unfair shot, although technically lots of people get an unfair shot and others don't get a shot at all. But, you know, we're going to treat everyone equal. You're going to, no one has the right. This is the liberalism negative rights, right? Nobody has the right to keep you from trying to do something. But you have no positive right. You have no right to something. You just have the right, right not to be prevented from trying. And right. then that's the, the illusion of the, the foundation of our liberal capitalist society and the pushback is okay but we all come to this with a history and we exist within that history and you might not see it but it's there and 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 i want to use that as a way to get to this question that i've been wanting to ask you for a long time talk about a long time because i know this is something you've come across before uh you know in canada there's this sort of persistent, misinformed, ignorant beliefs that we were never bound up in the global slave trade, that we weren't the beneficiaries of it and aren't now. And even if we were, that's all in the past. And then we say, you know, that's a U.S. thing. But it's a Canada thing too, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, we keep skating on this as if Canada doesn't have a history here. Uh, well, we talk about it with indigenous peoples, but, but not with, with, um, with the African diaspora. Right. And yet yeah. we damn well do. Yeah, because, you know, Canada had over, I think it was 203 years of slavery. I started off with McGill, right? Mm -hmm. So he had slaves. Um, uh, if you want to read about slavery in Montreal, uh, you can read The Hanging of Angelique by Fua Cooper. I think about Jarvis who also had slaves. Remember, the loyalists from America came to Canada with their slaves. Um, and, you know, Canada had a part in slave trading and the slave industry through the French, especially. And so, you know, the idea that slavery didn't touch Canada and therefore Canada is pure is absolute hogwash. It's it's just Western liberal democratic claptrap, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so what Western liberal democracies love to do is, you know, that's in the past. Moving forward, we're just going to treat everyone equally. Mm -hmm. And no, you can't do that because people have benefited families have benefited from this slave trade. Um, if you want a connection to Jamaica, you think of the Maroons from Jamaica, right, who eventually came to Canada. And, uh, you know, so that's a direct link. And so, you know, this idea that somehow Canada was 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 just so pristine and wonderful like its wilderness is is ridiculous <laughs> you know i don't know who comes up with these things i really don't but but again it just what stories do we tell ourselves and and how do we kind of gaslight ourselves into believing these things as though in order to protect us in our sort of 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 cage of of untruths Mm -hmm. Right. So I, 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 I think that, you know, when it comes to uh, black people um, and and sort of global anti black racism, it's its roots, its continuation 
flows from slavery to colonization to just inequities, general inequities. The immigration system is a perfect example of that. Um, And the continuing anti-Blackness of our immigration system, if you think about, you know, the conflict in Ukraine, for example, right? So those those threads are long and they they're really deep. So let me explain the the Windrush scandal. The Windrush scandal is a generation who arrived in the UK from Caribbean countries between 1948 and 1973. So Britain had a post-war labor shortage. Britain was basically falling apart. Okay, Mm. and and. So the name Windrush derives from the HMT Empire Windrush ship, which brought one of the first large groups of Caribbean people to the UK in 1948 to work basically as labor. Um, And what emerged in 2017 is that hundreds of these Commonwealth citizens had been wrongly detained, deported and denied legal rights. And this was under the the of then prime minister Theresa May. Right. And um, Commonwealth citizens were basically affected by the government's hostile environment legislation, which was, you know, that policy around 2012, which tasked the NHS landlords, banks, employers and many others with enforcing immigration controls. And um, they ultimately put them like punished them and and then deported them. And that was also when Theresa May was home office secretary. This was her baby, this hostile environment legislation. Um, But because many of the Windrush generation arrived as children on their parents' passports and the home office destroyed thousands of landing cards and other records, many lacked the documentation to prove their right to remain. And so the Home Office also played, placed the burden of proof on individuals to prove their residency that predated 1973. Hmm. And so many people were deported. People died because they weren't allowed to access medical care for cancer treatments. <sighs> okay. So again, How does that fit into our discussion? So that is another reason why Jamaica and just the rest of the Caribbean are really, really pissed off at Britain, right? That's a huge thorn in their Mm -hmm. side, right? And so how they thought they were going to get away with this and nobody was going to say anything, I don't know, okay? (laughs) But the chickens are coming home to roost for Britain. And um, so when William got up, on that stage and 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 delivered his speech and there wasn't an apology but he sent his regrets yeah and people said like he couldn't attend the wedding you know yes exactly it was really horrible but yeah okay we regret that it was really horrible and yeah you guys are spirited was basically how it went (sighs) but there's a reason that william cannot apologize And do you know why? Because it implies the need for reparations. Right. Right. Because the the British kept love great records 
Okay. Yes, they they're, they're dead to rights, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they can't apologize because that would infer guilt. Yeah. And that's why we're getting regrets. And if they apologize to us, what do you think India's going to do? Mm-hmm. And Bangladesh. And Bengal. Especially, ah, especially with that famine that Winston Churchill. With Churchill. <laughs> like, yes, 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 like yes. whoops, we did a famine. Sorry. Yeah. But Winston Churchill was great. You know, like the 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 narratives don't play out in our communities the same way. You know, the best the best way I, I mean, I I grew up, you know, with people bashing Britain all the time mm-hmm. because, you know, you get some West Indians together talking politics. Somebody's going to bash Britain. Somebody. Right. So, I mean, it's really, really interesting. And and in a bigger picture, when the queen dies, what happens to the Commonwealth? Because one of the critiques, too, is that. Um, is that the. In like in 2003, Jamaicans saw their visa free access to the UK revoked by the Blair government, right? Uh, Jamaicans are currently the only citizens within the Commonwealth realm that require a visa to visit the land of their head of state. Okay. Regrets indeed. In 2015, conservative Prime Minister David Cameron sparked outrage in Jamaica when he offered to sponsor the building of a new Jamaican prison in lieu of reparations. Oh, my God. Now, David Cameron's family were the recipients of slave reparations. Up until 2015. So, you know, in the past, way back. In the the past, eh? Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's in the present in the literal sense of these things are ongoing and cumulative. It's also in the in the in the present in the sense that there are extraordinary opportunity costs in in development and capacity building and, uh, you know, the the push for for, you know, liberty and realization when you when you absolutely decimate states and the people who live in them with your policies. Right. I mean, you mentioned Winston Churchill. And the and the Bengal uh, famine of uh, of the forties of nineteen forty three, you know, two million people died during that famine. Maybe three yeah. million people, right? I mean, we don't yeah. know exactly. And Millions nobody talks people. about it. And it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't the weather. It wasn't you know. It was policy. It was a it was a choice to do that. We off we talk about. Uh, Mao, we talk about Stalin and the millions that they killed with abhorrent policies of forced industrialization and cultural revolution and, uh, you know, and, and agricultural reforms that decimated their people. We don't Can talk I... about Churchill killing two million people. No. Right? And we don't talk about David Cameron and his slave owning family receiving reparations. How do you think he got to Eaton? How do you think he how do you think he was All able to families. take the place of society to become prime minister of Britain without on, on the bodies of black people. Mm-hmm. Okay. The violence, you know? And so to, to be fair, I don't know if his family received payment until 2015, but 
the compensation wasn't paid off until 2015. Right. To be clear, just to be accurate, because I know somebody's going to tweet me and be like, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the way in which this is woven into our economic and social and political structures is 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 very much the beating heart of that same democracy that people love to tout. Which democracy didn't like I which Western democracy? Yeah, they all did. <laughs> I mean, yes. They, thank God we're not talking about Belgium. They, well, exactly. In the Congo. And, you know, there, there's 100%. And if you look at, you know, why I, I don't recommend books very often. I'm getting, oh, I do now more because I write about books. But I, for years and years and years, there are very few books I'd recommend. Uh, but one of the first ones was always, you know, Why Nations Fail. And one of the reasons I, I liked it, it's, it's problematic and imperfect as all books are. But one of the reasons that it's good is that it, it looks at institutions and the legacies of extractive institutions yeah. and shows you like, you know, here's the difference between, you know, the United States or Canada or the Great Britain, the United Kingdom and so on. And, uh, you know, countries that are that are impoverished. And the the answer is often, well, because they were colonized and became extractive crony capitalism states because they were exploited structurally by colonial powers and that leaves a mark and you know it's not like well just pull yourself up by your bootstraps especially today when yeah. the western world uh, you know continues to hold them down it's like say it's like holding someone down and saying why don't you get up and uh, you, you know we if you look at the legacy of, for instance, uh, structural adjustment programs and so on and so forth, one of the things you learn is that when they were put in place, those countries suffered because they were extractive. It's you know, part of the reason countries rise, rose in, in, for instance, Korea and so on, is because they didn't buy into structural adjustment programs. Yeah. They said, no, no, you guys screwed around. You guys uh, refused to do this sort of thing. You wouldn't liberalize bef- too quickly. You right. didn't have, uh, you, you kept in place structure, uh, uh, what do you call it? protectionist policies because it was yeah. good for you you paid subsidies to your industries why the hell should we do otherwise you know now you're telling us that we can't do the same things you did exactly and, and we forget this and then we say wow we can't trust these countries look what they you know we don't want to send them aid we don't want to can't trust we have to remove the government because we don't trust the government uh you know and if you look at the 20th century history of, of cia coups around yeah. the world they're you know because they were scared that these countries were introducing reforms that would yes. harm U.S. interests. Wow! Uh, and, and we sort of <laughs> have the have the gall to say, you know, Canada was part of this too, and still is. Look at our mining companies. Uh, oh, you want to you talk know, extractive? It, wow! Well, and, and then we have the gall to say, you know, to trust us, we know what's best, and, and right, we don't owe you right. anything. And, and, and it's truly and, wild to me that that this point doesn't get yes, through. Yes, that that there's like. Exactly. I, I will I will I will recommend a book too, speaking of how that happened. So there's a book by a man named Walter Rodney, who was actually assassinated in the early 80s. <laughs> Oops. Uh and car bomb. And he's uh um he's a Guyanese historian. I'm I'm really turning uh more to towards like more uh caribbean black um historians because i i think the depth at which they understand the structural 
part of this, the the systems is is very, very it's amazing, you know. So how Europe underdeveloped Africa by Walter Rodney. Uh, it was published in 1981. It is excellent. It's meaty. It's it's one that I think is is forming a real basis for the understanding of colonialism and how structurally and ex- it, it extracted human um, human capital, human labor. Right. If you think of colonization too, you you can't forget that. Um, human capital was was extracted from those countries too, right? Everybody went to Britain. If you were really good, you went to Britain to study. You went to Canada or, or wherever or the, to study. So there's that part too. So there is definitely an opportunity cost of reparations mm-hmm. in addition to the actual cost. And so... Nobody wants, and everybody knows that that's a big price tag. You know, um, it's estimated that Britain extracted, I think, a trillion dollars from from India over its colonization. So how do you how do you pay that back? Right, you pretty much bankrupt the country. It's so, yeah, but I'm is, for it. Like, <laughs> but the, but the, you know, it's funny is it it betrays just how much of the of the reparation resistance is bullshit because it sort of says like no 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 we don't owe them and what when re- you know really what people will admit when they are honest with themselves is you we owe can't us possibly afford you it. owe us <laughs> yeah. everything the interest alone gets you, you know? exactly interest you alone that's right you owe us everything. <sighs> Yeah, and, I, and people know. I I think when people are even semi-honest to themselves, they recognize this very quickly. And and, mm-hmm. and the fact that when you have these discussions or watch these discussions, almost always you see it pivot subtly, but but inevitably to, okay. But even if so, it's not practical. E- yes, and that's when you yes. know that they that's know. That's when you know that that, like, that oh, they they have nothing left. It's bullshit. I see. And yet, you know, our, but, you if, know, you owe the tax, if you owe the tax man. Yeah, <laughs> they want yeah, the they too. extract yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> like matter. they just garnish your wages. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which do. is what we should be doing to the to the state and paying reparations. I mean, it, and, and including, by the way, you know, I should say, we could have the same discussion. In some ways, we are having that discussion in parallel with with indigenous people, indigenous around peoples, around the world, yeah. especially in Canada. Yeah. I mean, this is uh-huh. the, the case can be made very, very easily. It's it's, it's a no brainer case that this is yes. owed, and it's not just a past or present part of the reason i use settler as a term to refer to uh to non-indigenous and to incidentally uh non-black uh people who live in canada because if you are brought here from slavery it's reasonable to not apply the settler tag i mean i know that's a debate that i mostly stay out of but i buy that that argument Uh, actually i'm reading a book right now which lays out that argument very well uh, in, in favor of excluding black people from from this. Yes. Other yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's I, I'm like, I'm a believer. <laughs> yeah. yeah same. Black people aren't settlers now. Yeah. If you were brought here against your will, your family's brought here against your will. It's, hard, it's very hard to say. And, and yes, that means the larger uh, British uh, Commonwealth regime. Right. So let's not forget how colonialism continued with the Commonwealth and with, you know, those those types of quote unquote relationships, 
right? Which was just, it, w- it was just political imperialism, really, right? So, like, I find it interesting, for example, that the queen all of a sudden can do something about Russia and, not, and, and refuse things with Russia, but she couldn't do that in South Africa. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? <laughs> oh, what is the difference? There's what could something. it be? Right? Something at the Polish border, and, there's there's a different rule as well. Yeah. yeah. And so, on it. and so, you know, look at vaccine apartheid, you know, mm. is another example of that colonialism, that imperialism, well played out in vaccine um, procurement and apartheid. And so, and the rules and the immigration rules and the weaponization of the immigration system and to keep out quote unquote undesirables, right? So, I, you know, when I, I really do, I'm really, really chomping at the bit to like really explore this even further because this is like my preliminary look. <laughs> Well, then we'll have to have you back. <laughs> One other point I want to make, sorry, please. Is, that, no, please do. is that when you think about this and beyond with the Commonwealth, when the Queen dies, what happens to the Commonwealth? And if Britain, if, if, these, if these member states are already kicking up about reparations and, and, and aggressively so mm-hmm. and united, I mean, Britain's big problem right now, the, the, the monarchy's big problem right now is in Harry or Meghan. It's the Commonwealth yeah, because right. that can spread. And I'm not sure if the Commonwealth is going to exist long past the Queen's eventual death. I don't know. And that, that is a world order that is another post world war II order that is uh, a western sort of liberal democrat uh, d- democratic in in quotations order yet another one that's falling by the wayside and i got to say if, if i and that's a big picture yeah i don't want i'm not here to defend the monarchy but you know here's a free piece of advice if you are looking to preserve it Maybe Charles is your your best spokesperson. Well, neither is William. No. <laughs> I mean, they're they're, they're running Maybe low off on King talent. Ralph. Where's John Goodman? I mean, look at this cast of characters. You got Andrew, Charles, and William's making an ass of himself. Yeah. Wow. Ah, I love it. And I love it. When, do you remember though? You know, now Harry's. By the way, you know, sort of in many ways held up as the quote-unquote good royal. I don't think there's a such thing as a good royal. No. But he's sort of exempted from, but, you know, remember when he was dressing up in an SS uniform and that was, yeah. that was, you know, what we were focused on in the royal family and that was how, you know, it was so scandalous and it is scandalous. Nobody should be dressing up in an SS uniform. Yeah. And yet that was like, oh, that is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't even know. Yeah. And it gets so much worse. It gets yeah. so much worse. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, again, I, I, I the, uh, I don't know if you can salvage the monarchy in the long run or the or the Commonwealth. I, d- uh, I don't understand the the argument for the only argument for the monarchy right now has to do with indigenous peoples and um, and 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 agreements and between the crown oh, right, and right. and 
indigenous nations. That would be, that's what makes it difficult in Canada. Because in lieu of that, you want, in lieu of that, then basically Canada's, like Canada will just roll over them, right? Right. So, you know, and that's, and those, those decisions or those, those agreements are, um, are the basis upon which Supreme Court decisions are decided, you know? So, so that is the only, only reason I could see. And there's got to be, this, yeah. this is beyond my, this is beyond my expertise. So I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, there must be some mechanism by which you can bind the, the state to these agreements yeah. beyond its its existence because we're going back to what you know, like 1763 Seven, yeah exactly stuff yeah right? I mean, yes. there's got to be a way because we're like fully our own thing now but that's a good question I mean because again if we ask the question okay you know who owes reparations to say indigenous peoples in Canada um, it's Canada as a state the state of Canada it's also the United Kingdom as the state of the yeah. United Kingdom right yeah. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. it's but incidentally it's also France uh, yeah. Right. It is colonial powers, past and present. It's which the is, Catholic Church. It's like, oh, my Lord. Yes. As as indigenous. Uh, and yet I'm told they have no money. I'm told they're tapped out. The, yeah. The Catholic Church. Every time I have oh. this discussion or see this debate, it's, well, they, the, the Catholic Church has no these dioceses have no money. Uh, oh, I didn't, you know, you no, have no, to understand. Oh, and it's like, oh, yes. yeah, sorry, the Pope sits on a golden throne. I'm pretty, I, they, you know, I'm pretty sure you've got a couple of bucks somewhere. It's the Baldacchino, David. <laughs> but it's always, but it's always, you know. Oh, you don't understand the structure of the church. The diocese don't have the money. I, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I know, like, I'm I hear pretty that sure you could find too, it. But, you know, the fact you know, that you know the got Catholic a Church shell. got rich too. Like, oh, yes, they did. Like, so yes, they, did. they incidentally collaborated with Nazis as well. But you know, well, so fascists, I should say. Yeah. Uh, as uh, well as well, you know, you want to go back to Britain, like yes. and that. So the, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury too should, should, you know, they should be doing a tour actually yeah. to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Right. So, um, and it's, it's not, it's also for slavery yes, and enslavement of indigenous people. So, and it's also for enslavement of black people. So I, I, again, everybody has their hand in this pie and the modern Europe, that you see the modern North America that you see is based on slavery point blank. It is built on black bodies that were kidnapped and stolen and forced and violently forced into labor at whose value was extracted. That's why today you see black culture being extracted as value from black people you know that is that is uh, i i think a very powerful point on which to to end because we've come just just past time but i could talk about this for hours but we'll yeah have, we'll, 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 we'll come back we'll do it again we'll do it we'll again make a series there's yeah. no end of things we could talk we'll about go on here. the road <laughs> we'll go on we'll take the world's <laughs> the world's most depressing stand-up routine <laughs> Exactly. We could do a very real but very sad bit, uh, <laughs> but I mean, but it's it is real, and people have to hear this, and, yeah. and we don't talk about it very much in the mainstream. And so I'm glad yeah. that you you joined me here today to to talk about it a bit, and we'll we'll have you back, and we'll do it again. Amazing, amazing. Well, then, 
amazing indeed. So my thanks first and foremost to you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You know, part of my understanding of this is because I actually do um, not only research for the pod, but when I do workshops, I do workshops on anti-oppression and anti-racism. And I really drill down to where this stuff comes from. Yeah. And, you know, I create this narrative. So my consulting company is called Not In My Color. It's notinmycolor.com. That's color with a U. Um, We do everything from, you know, initiating conversations to workshops to writing to more policy analysis. So check us out and, and on Twitter, come see us. And on Twitter, it's at not in my color, but me on Twitter is at wicked chick W I C K D as in door C H I Q. Highly recommend. And the podcast, bad and bitchy podcast. Yeah. Perfect. Subscribe. I'm pretty much knee deep in this stuff. <laughs> Yes, you are. Yes, you are indeed. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you are. I'm glad you could join us today. And so my thanks to you. My thanks to Carolyn Smith, as always, uh, to Aisha Jera and to Aaron Reynolds to make the show not just possible, but far better than it would be without them. My thanks to them uh, and to Erica and to all of you who listen wherever you listen and share where, however you share. We thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. And we will see you again back here in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.